0: Hello, I'm Daniel Prusilides. Welcome to The Long Way, a podcast of short episodes with long perspectives on building the common good. Thanks for joining me on another episode of The Long Way. Today, we're looking at the changing nature of work amidst a pandemic that's dragged on for seven months.
1: There's definitely no reason why a four-day work week wouldn't work here. Now,
0: just before we hear from our featured guests, a quick word about Cardis, which puts on this podcast. We're a think tank based in Hamilton, Ontario, dedicated to building the common good. So we produce policy research aimed at three things. Improving how we live together well respecting our many differences, and protecting the vulnerable. Well, one thing that's pretty common to all of us is work, but that's something that's changed dramatically over the last seven months of pandemic and maybe has changed for good, maybe for the better. So to explore that issue, I spoke with Dr. Erica Carlton, Assistant Professor of Organizational Behavior at the University of Saskatchewan, as well as Brian Dykema, who is Vice President of External Affairs at Cardis and a bit of an in-house expert on work and labor-related research. And just before we hear from our guests, I, I do apologize for some extraneous noise recorded during our interview. I take responsibility for that. Still, it is well worth listening to the whole thing. Dr. Carlton, welcome to The Long Way.
1: Uh, thank you so much for having me.
0: And Brian Dykemo, welcome to you as well. Thanks so much. I'm, I want to bring you some interesting polling, very recent polling. From uh, Leger Marketing for the Association of Canadian Studies. And they report that 89% of respondents say they find working from home very or somewhat positive, and 82% of respondents would prefer working mostly from home, at least in the coming weeks. I, I wonder, starting with you, Dr. Carlton, um, are we beginning to see a bit of a long term trend now that we've seen what's, what's possible? Uh, to do from home? Could this be something that, you know, maybe lasts beyond the pandemic?
1: I think so, and I, I would hope so. I think this is a really good opportunity to think change the way we think about how we work, and, like, this is just the perfect opportunity. I think it would be such a shame to watch um, the, like, just going straight back to normal work kind of once we're through this um, pandemic. Um, stuff that's happening. And so it's definitely a great opportunity and one that we should jump on.
0: Well, what do you think, Brian?
2: Well, I, I agree with uh, Professor Carlton. I think there's, there's been a long sort of historical um, bifurcation of, of home and home life and, and work life. Um, for most of our, most of our history as human beings, that's not been true. And it's been a recent sort of industrial thing that we've separated our home and our work. And there's some good things that come with that, of course, when it comes to efficiency and so on. But I think there's what this poll is showing is that, um, there are benefits to, to, um, a sort of a closer, uh, closer relationship between um, where you spend time with your family or where you spend time at leisure and, and the work that you're doing. So I, I would agree with the professor. I hope, I hope that we can continue to learn from this as we as we emerge on the other side of the, the crisis.
0: What does it do to our perception of work when there's less distinction between the workplace and the home?
1: So um, for me, what that's kind of called in our area is work-life conflict or work-home Conflict, that sort of thing. However, one thing it does with regards to, uh, on a positive note, that would be considered sort of the negative, where it's like leeching into each other, your work and home life are negatively affecting each other, which they are anyways, but more so because maybe you're working from home. Um, But the positive effects of working from home is the fact that um, you have more control over your tasks, you have more control over how and when you do your job, and job control is one of the major stressors that all employees face, so having more control over what you do and when you do it makes people feel better, improves well-being, so there's positives.
0: So, that, so that there are positives. Brian, what's your assessment?
2: Well, I, again, I'm gonna, this is going to sound like a mutual admiration society, but I'm going to agree with the professor. I, I think there's a, there's a few things that, that, you know, just working from home, both my wife and I have worked from home quite a bit. My wife's a public health nurse, and she'll be working from home for a while. One thing that we've noticed is that there are a lot of um, habits that we have to unlearn, and, and most of those relate to the control that, that Professor Carlton was talking about. You don't have to, if you're up at 7.30 and the kids are off and you want to get started on your workday and get going on your tasks, you don't have to wait for anybody to open the office. You don't have to be uh, waiting on anyone. You can just get going. And that also means then that you, if you have put in your full day and you're done at 3 o'clock or what have you off of normal, what would be considered normal hours, um, the time can move on. But those are those are habits that are you have to unlearn the ability that um, to take uh, a cup of tea uh, in the middle of the day and, and just uh, relax at your work or, for instance, to help uh, your children with their math homework as they come in. Um, those those things feel very awkward. At least they did in the initial part of the of the, um, the crisis when we were locked down. But it didn't need to be. The work was still getting done, and uh, there was a sense in which once you got into those new habits, um, that they felt a lot better. And and one other thing to note, and you know, as somebody who's interested in the relationship between the economy and other aspects of our life, I think it's it's been a wonderful thing to be on conversations with people and to see their children walk in uh, with either a complaint or with you know a bug that they picked up in the garden or something like that. I think it it sort of realizes that people are not, or forces us to realize that people are not just workers; they're not just cogs in a machine, but that um, their daily work is connected to um, a deeper humanity, and um, and that's something that I, I really hope that we can continue to do as we as we we move through this this thing.
0: There must be something healthy about an attitude change like that, Doctor Carleton.
1: Oh, for sure, it is um, like one of the the benefits for you know having your employees feel better or like enjoy working from home or have that more positive um, outcome, is that they're actually more productive because of it. So we have a hypothesis um, that's called the Happy Productive Worker Hypothesis, which states that you know the higher well-being your employees have, the better they are at doing their jobs. And um, research does show generally, it's not always the case, but generally that people are more productive um, when they're happier. And not just with regards to productivity, but like sick absences and things like that, if people have higher well-being, go down as well.
0: Let me challenge you both on something, because I can see perhaps with working from home or continued work from home, a challenge for bosses and for supervisors. Bosses can't just, you know, traipse by your cubicle or your office uh, to see how how things are going. I mean, yeah, there are Zoom calls and, and whatever other methods we use to stay connected, but I could see a challenge when it comes to supervision.
1: Oh, for sure. I so um, I study leadership. That's actually my main area of where I do research. and this has changed the landscape of what leadership and you know being a manager looks like. And currently, you know, as researchers are scrambling to figure out what makes a good e-leader, what makes a good um, you know web-based or online, leader and part of that is a little bit of losing control of the reins you know micromanaging will not work in a situation like this however one of the positives is that you're allowing your um, followers to have more autonomy and more decision-making autonomy specifically and that's really good for them Um, as long as there's you know trusting relationship between you and your employees and there's some sort of feedback loop happening this is a good thing it allows you know your employees to solve stuff themselves, make decisions, that sort of thing, and hopefully become better at their jobs by doing so. But it is a massive challenge, especially if you're a leader who's much more used to being on top of everything that your employees are doing.
0: And that autonomy, Brian, I can imagine that feeding into, I guess, the helpful perception that we're not just cogs in the machine.
2: Well, absolutely. I, I think I think what the professor is getting at is is a, a recognition that management is not the same thing as control. Um, you know, I've I've on record in a number of places uh, saying that we need to reconsider um, what it is we mean by management. If you look at the etymology even of the word, it has to do with horses. Um, and the fact is that in in workplaces, the the um, community that we're working of are with is comprised of human beings, and so. Um, there's a there's a beautiful quote and and people uh, I hope they don't mind that that I read it it's, it's from John Paul II he says that human work has an ethical value of its own which clearly and directly remains linked to the fact that the one who carries it out is a person a conscious and free subject that is to say a subject that decides about him or herself and I I think that's that's a beautiful description of what work is in in a way in which we should think about our workplace that. The people in the workplace are conscious and free and can make decisions on their own. Um, that's not to say that, that you don't need leadership or that you don't need accountability. I think those things are there. But if those leadership and accountability structures are built around a conception of a workplace that realizes that those who are in the workplace are conscious and free subjects, persons, rather than horses or, or cogs and machine to be controlled... I think it can only mean uh, better things for the workplace, and, and as the professor notes, likely more productivity. Uh, people who are who are able to make decisions about themselves are doing work that they want to do, and and we all, you know, um, you know, I have kids, and they will often work harder at things that they want to do rather than the chores I tell them to do. And I think the same <laughs> thing. I think the same thing applies for workplaces.
0: Well, you know, you mentioned productivity, and one of the one of the immediate things that comes to mind for me is the recent renewed calls for a four-day work week. Uh, CBC reported recently on Guysboro, Nova Scotia, starting a nine-month experiment with a four-day week for their municipal workers. Uh, New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has promoted the same idea. Uh, uh, Dr. Carlton, can you see something like that working in Canada?
1: Yeah, there's definitely no reason why a four day work week wouldn't work here. There's like many logistic things around it, right? Is it, is it a four day work week with 10 hour days? Is it a four day work week with just your normal eight hour days? Um, you know, what days would it be off? Do people get paid the same? All that stuff. There's lots of stuff to work out about it, but it, there's definitely no reason why it couldn't work. I think for me, the underlying goal, again, around this should just be that autonomy, that job control that people would gain from just having more time. One piece about the four-day work week that would be added if people do go back to work in droves at some point after the pandemic, is the fact it's more time spent away from work, which rep- provides more time for recovery for employees. And that's a really important thing, again, with regards to um, sickness, absence, and that sort of thing. Um, and one really important piece that I care about, obviously, because I study it, is sleep. So the longer you're away from work, the more time you have to catch up on your sleep as well.
0: That's that's interesting because, um, you know, I can see contexts where it would work. You know, in an, in an office environment, um, I could see how maybe a four-day four week uh, would be uh, more feasible. I don't know that it might be, it would be feasible, say, in a nursing context or in a schooling context context um yeah. because you know those those are those you would have to restructure the entire system
1: yes for sure there are um spaces where it would be a lot easier to apply to just your standard office job that sort of thing a lot easier and you know if you think about it like many um workers so especially government workers are already on four day weeks like partly they have ddos and things like that that allow them to like every other week or every three weeks have that four day week. And so that's already sort of implemented in certain ways in some places. Um, but yeah, it would be like nursing, that sort of context would be significantly harder to accomplish, um, this without, like you said, completely restructuring, um, what those um, systems look like.
0: Yeah. I mean, you potentially need more nurses and more teachers to, uh, to, to, to make up the, uh, the, the hours. Brian, um, There are two different approaches, at least two different approaches, I've seen to this idea of a four-day work week. One would be sort of mandating it sort of from the top down. Another would be to let it happen naturally sort of in the negotiation among workers and and management. That could happen at the union level or it could happen in a non-unionized place. How do you see that working out?
2: Well, I think that's a, it's a great point that it, it'll, it's, it will differ depending on the, the context and the sector and all the rest of that stuff. I I think it's important to note, as the professor mentioned, that, um, in many places, many sectors, a four day work week is the norm. The construction sector, for instance, is, um, it's not unusual for construction workers to put in four, 10 hour days, uh, and then perhaps a half day or, or, no day working on the Friday. Um, and that, that takes place in other, in other places, including healthcare. And you're right. It does mean sometimes hiring more workers. Um, so, in terms of how it gets done, I, I think if it gets mandated by the government, you will start to see, um, and as was done in France, by the way, uh, France uh, experimented with four-day work weeks, you'd see the sort of unintended consequences come out of that, that that workers and companies will find workarounds and will find different ways to to adjust to that. that, some of which may be helpful and some of which won't. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm always intrigued by the notion of a four day work week, mainly because when you think of uh, of going away on vacation and say you leave on a Friday, um, you find yourself highly productive that week. <laughs> and I, I think that that's to some extent what the professor is getting at, that there may be a sense in which Um, you know, you're going to, you're going to go on vacation. So you get all your work done in anticipation of some of this rest that you're taking. And when you come back, perhaps you come back on a Monday or a Tuesday and you're equally or even more productive on the other side. And and I think it gets at something that our culture needs to spend a little bit more time thinking about, which is the relationship between leisure and work. And I, I think we often think of leisure as simply, um, as simply the absence of work that, when you're not working it's the work that's the norm and in leisure is the thing that you do just to either recover your body or what have you and of course those things matter and 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 professor carlton's done great work on that but there's a sense in which leisure itself is connected with a, a sort of a recalibration of of your mind of of other things your ability to connect with other communities which contribute to your productivity as an employee that's particularly true in in the knowledge sector i know that the ability to think, um, to, to think creatively, to sort of Read outside of your normal realm of, 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 of study actually has shown to contribute to to higher levels of productivity, and um, I think that's something that we could we could do as a society. Um, you know, consider what what is the role of leisure in in making a productive workplace, and not just so that we become you know more efficient cogs, but that we we actually do better work and, and have better workplaces. Uh,
0: uh, Doctor Carlton, let me give you the final word on this. What do you think of of the possibility of becoming better workers
1: um, yeah I think it's highly possible one thing I just want to like mention which we've been sort of talking about if we think about working and we think about working eight hour days people are not working though all the time of those days so it's like task work are you building social capital are you doing those sort of things and with a shortened week it's unlikely that people won't have the time to still complete all the task-related stuff they do because they do so much other things as well. So it might limit social capital. It might limit social socializing, things like that. But they still will be able to um, have the time to get their work done. And with regards to becoming a better worker, having the same sort of time to get your work done but also having more leisure time is, like, ideal. I think that we need to get out of the thinking that, you know, only if you're working tons of like extra time and all that you're a productive person in the world and that's not true you know we are you see it through looking at how unhealthy workers become across time so job stress is negatively linked to all health outcomes you can even imagine through cancer um, heart disease all that sort of thing so if we can work to improve how the well-being of our employees we can reduce the negative effects that our work actually has on our health and maybe at some point that you know, in some utopia world, that that could be a positive thing. Our work is actually positively promoting our health instead of um, taking away from it, which currently the way we work, it does.
0: Well, that's a, that's a great place to end. I mean, the long way is all about looking at the long game and uh, sort of the, long, the long-term change. So, Dr. Erica Carlson, thank you so much for, for your time and your insights.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was great.
0: And Brian Dykema, thank you as well.
2: It's a pleasure, Daniel. Thanks so much.
0: back to producer Rachel Fedema talking about work today.
3: This is going to be a great conversation.
0: We're going to have to work at it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So Rachel, uh, if you had to choose a few things to carry forward in terms of changed work conditions or attitudes, things from the pandemic that you would carry forward to, you know, post-pandemic normal times, so to speak, what would you choose?
3: Well, it all boils down to mostly one thing, which is the change of pace. Uh, I used to be willing to travel across the province at a drop of a hat. I was keeping myself so busy. And I think we all had this reckoning when we all became homebodies. And the the relationship with work throughout that, I I realized more that having a balanced work-life separation doesn't necessarily mean that they're separated. It means that we know how to hold each in a in their own right and together because yeah when we see ourselves as whole people when I see myself as a whole person it's not that I'm clocking certain work hours now I I could hop on very easily from home and and what does that mean I actually like that I like the lack of separation and the trade-off being increase of other things uh eliminating commuting for instance
0: Yeah, I, I can tell you um, commuting is not my the favorite part of my day, um, and that's one thing you'd have to do less of if you had a four-day work week. So your opinion, just sort of off the top of your head, four-day work week, yay or nay?
3: Actually, nay, I, if it means trading off things like, like the idea of a four day work week means you really have to hit the road during those times. Sorry to use another traveling metaphor um, and, and not getting as much conviviality, perhaps this, the pace required for those four days. I would rather show up to work five days a week and be able to take it at a pace where I'm able to stop and have a conversation with the people that I'm there with.
0: Interesting. Uh, Rachel, You know, we could go on for another half hour, but uh, (laughs) there's supposed to be short episodes uh, about the common good. So we'll keep it short uh, and we'll end it there. But, you know, uh, anyone who's listening, um, if you've got some thoughts on a four-day work week, on the changing nature of work, we would love to hear from you. Maybe we'll uh, read interesting and good responses uh, on on a future episode. Write to us, media at cardis.ca. Cardus' is C-A-R-D-U-S, media at cardus.ca. So for the entire team at Cardus and the production team for The Long Way, thank you for listening. Don't forget to like us, follow us wherever you are getting your podcast, and we will catch you on our next episode. I'm Daniel Prusilides. <music>